0: The barrel. Well, this morning I'd like to talk about God. I hope that's why you're here to hear a little bit about God. And and I think it's important that as followers of God to know the character of God. To know His character is to know Him. You know, we read the Bible and it's great, the stories are awesome. If you want to get a a good glimpse of the heart of God, read the Gospels because Jesus is is God in the flesh. But in the Old Testament, there's a lot of great narratives about the heart of God and how he loves humanity. He loves you because he made you. And we love our God and we worship our God. But I want you to get to know God, not just from your prayer life, but as you read the narratives and you read the stories of our our patriarchs, that you would see the heart of God. Last week, we left off in the Garden of Eden, and we talked about instant gratification. And sometimes that has perilous consequences. We all know that. Look in your Bible this morning with me as we're going to finish that story. And I want you to look at the heart of God. And I think it's important because in this generation, this, this younger generation, God, in, God is getting pushed out more and more. It's almost like irrelevant. So, I want to just equip you with some ideas that'll help you one, know God, but two, even b- better explain things about God to your friends and to your family. So, in Genesis chapter three, it's important to note when you read Genesis that there is nothing in creation that is perfect, the only perfect being is God, He's the only one that is perfect, everything else is imperfect so as we read this story in genesis keep that in your mind because god's creation and his decision of creation is going to help you come to grips as to why there is evil in our world why there is sin in our world why there is heartbreak in our world it's going to help you better process that so in genesis 3 verse 8 the divine being the uh label the serpent here. Later we know it's the devil, but it's the, the writers writing to an ancient nearest audience. They all know that when, when you write about a, a, a talking snake, you're talking about a spiritual being. For us, it's, we take it literally, but for them, they know exactly what the writer was trying to get across. So after Eve takes the apple or the fruits, uh, Adam eats it, and they realize something's terribly wrong. They realize they're naked. They realize we made a mistake. And so in verse 8 of Genesis 3, it says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Notice the language. God is spirit. But in this t- story, he is walking in the garden. What does that tell you and me? That God has come down in human form. Can God do that? Yes. That's how Jesus came to, right? So God has now put himself in human form, walks into the garden, knows that Adam and Eve are hiding, and says, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. One thing to note here is God calls the man, where, where's Adam? Singular. He's not calling for the woman. That's something for you as men, you should know that God looks to you. If you're in a relationship, God looks to you. He, he didn't ask Reed, he goes, Where are you? Singular, Adam. And Adam is a classic, right? <laughs> Classic blame shifter. It's the woman! She took the tree, and, then, and I, then I, I don't know, I gobbled it up. I ate it somehow. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, classic blame shift, the serpent deceived me. That spiritual being deceived me. Isn't that humanity? We just, we, we're, we're hesitant to take responsibility. There's a hesitancy because there's an embarrassment. There's a shame, there's a nakedness. So here's some ideas that that I find that people tend to think about God. One, that God, if God is so good, why did he create evil? You, You probably hear that. God must have created evil. Or God needed sin to happen. Well, why wouldn't God just have stopped them from doing that in the first place if he knew they were gonna do it? Everything God knows in advance will happen. That's are some of the ideas that are out there. And I want to let you know that just because God has foreknowledge of the fall, foreknowledge of what happened in the garden, it doesn't make him the creator of evil just because he knows about it. Because Adam and Eve were imagers of God. They were not God. They were imagers. In other words, they had a role. They're, you and I are made in the image of God. And I want to talk about what that means. To be made in God's image. They were human. And as imagers, they were to work in the capacity as representatives of God. They were to work on the earth as God's representative. The image is not something he put inside of us. It's something we do. It's not a thing. It's a function. It's a status. Don't think, of it, don't think of it as a noun. Think of it as a verb. Being created in God's image, being his imagers, means that we are now his representatives on the earth. Humans were created to rule and care for the earth. God made tree huggers, right? Care for the earth, work the earth, love the earth, right? I know some of us get mad, but that's what God says. Subdue so it and rule it is the duty of humanity to oversee the earth. It is our duty. That's why the only bug that's not allowed at the park is the litter bug, right? <laughs> Keep our parks clean. But, Geo, isn't it? Aren't we made in God's image because he gave us a soul? Not really. Well, aren't we different because God gave us a spirit? Mm, nope. Because the same word that God gave you for spirit and soul is the same word used for the, how God made the animals. So both animal and humans have soul and spirit. The same word. So it can't be that he gave you a soul. That's what makes me the imager. No. What makes you and I the imager is our function, is our status. We represent God on the earth. The animals don't. We do. We rule over the animals. We are in a status of being his imagers. That's what makes us to be made in God's likeness. We share his attributes and we also share his status. We are his ambassadors, as the New Testament would say. We are his representatives. We're his imagers. So if it's the image function that makes us in God's image. We know that because in Genesis chapter 1:26 it says, the dominion mandate is to go and subdue the earth. And since Adam and Eve were not God, it was possible for them to use their freedom to make a choice that was not what God would make. They made a choice that God wouldn't have made. When tempted, they did so, and Eden fell, or they fell in Eden. One of the attributes that God gives humanity is freedom, to make choices between alternatives, including alternatives that God would not be pleased with. It's an attribute that humans share with God. Since we're God's imagers, his representatives on the earth to be steward kings, rulers over the earth, we have to have this ability. If there's no free will, there is no imaging of God. Because freedom and imaging are inseparably linked. They're connected. It's, the fa- it's foundational to us being made in his image. And that's a significant thought, that God would share his attributes with humans. Because when God decided to share his attributes of freedom with humans and the angels, lesser gods, as the Bible calls them, God made a decision not to make them robots, not to make you a robot. Or God made a decision to not turn you into a robot when you failed. So God made that decision. What that means for us is that we we have the capacity. Humans have the capacity. Spiritual beings have the capacity for rebellion. God knows this. God is not surprised about what happens in the Garden of Eden. He's not shocked. The basis of free will, as theologians and scholars tell us, it explains why there's evil. You cannot rightly be called an imager of God if you don't have the attribute of freedom. Because God is not without the attribute of freedom. Now, God creates lesser beings, spiritual beings, who are able to choose. Some choose the wrong one. Well, why doesn't just God step in, Geo? Why doesn't he step in and just stop it? Because if he takes away the quality he gave us, we cease to be made in his image. We cease. And God knows this. He doesn't want that. He decided, I'm going to give them that because I want them to be like me. But God has something else in mind despite the pain, despite the failure, and despite evil. God has something else in mind. When God sends them out of the garden, he exiles Adam and Eve. The Bible still refers to them as being made in the likeness of God. Even after they're pushed out of the garden, The, the Bible specifically calls them, they're still made in his image. God didn't take away the status even though they sin. Adam is not described as a slob or spiritual weak person or Eve, some foul wretch. They're not presented that way. They're not presented in a lesser status. God doesn't take away their imager status. In fact, God sends them out to say, continue to be my imagers. Go out into the world and multiply And rule and steward and represent me despite being pushed out of the Garden of Eden. He's not like, he's not like, get out of here. There's nothing good in you anymore. I'm gonna turn my back on you. God doesn't do that. Humanity is not in a state of total depravity when Adam and Eve sinned. That begins in Genesis chapter six. Several chapters later, depravity starts to take over the world because. Those angels, those supernatural beings create havoc on the earth and impregnate women and create giant clans. And just so you know, when you go on your Google and you, and, you, and you type in Mesopotamia, all their stories of their origins of their religion all have giants in them. Every single one. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Sea People, the Mesopotamia. All of their religious traditions lead back to almost immortal giants. Genesis chapter 6. That's when depravity happens on the earth. So in verse 8 of Genesis 3, God takes human form. He walks in the garden. Now drop down to verse 21. He comes to the garden. He talks to Adam and Eve. says, okay, there's consequences to what happened. The ground's going to be hard to work. Eve, you're going to have some pain in childbirth. You know, serpent, you guys are going to be, there's going to be a galactic spiritual battle between you two. And then in verse 21, look what God does. They are in sin. They are in rebellion. They are not doing great spiritually. And the Lord God comes and he makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And he clothes them. The Hebrew word there is he made leather out of the animals. Sorry, Peter. God comes to man, comes to the woman in their sin. He does not leave them. He does not walk away. He makes clothing for them. He makes clothes. Now he's in human form. So he hunts down the animal, kills it, skins it, lays it out, makes the garment, and gives it to Adam and Eve when they're at their worst spiritually. When your insecurity is so high with God, God is making them garments. God is not hopeless. God is not, oh man, I should have thought about that snake and that snake, he really got me. God is not surprised about what happens. Again, God has something else in mind. God knew failure would happen and he was prepared for it. Just because God can foreknow something, there's no guarantee. That he predestined it. The only thing God predestined was Jesus coming. I'm going to come. That's part of God's plan. But let me, let me just, just share this thought with you. Look in your Bibles in 1 Samuel 23. I'm just going to highlight this chapter, the story for you, but I'd like to encourage you to read it on your own during the week or during my lesson right now. David is running from Saul. And this is something that the idea that if God knows something's going to happen, it doesn't mean it's going to happen just because he knows it's going to happen. So David is running from Saul. There's a city called Kaila that's in, that's in danger from a, an attack by the Philistines. David goes over there and rescues them from the Philistines and he stays there. But it's a walled city. And Saul hears that David entered Kilah and it's walled. He goes, now I have him. So two things that God foreknew that didn't come to pass are in this passage. David goes to a walled city. Saul knows he has David trapped. David hears about Saul knowing. And so David asks for the ephod and he asks God two questions. Question number one that David asked God. Will Saul come down and surround the city? God says, yes. Second question, will the people of Kyla hand me over to Saul when he comes? And God goes, you betcha. So what does David do? He would do what you would do. He runs, he leaves. Saul never comes down and the people never turn him over. Two things that God knew would happen did not happen. He foreknew two things that did not come to pass. Therefore, foreknowledge does not necessitate predestination. Just because God God knows, it doesn't necessitate predestination. In this passage, God foreknows things that never happen because humans' decisions change the circumstances. Very simply put, God new things that never happened. You see, God can know things like Eden in advance. And he was prepared for it. So God makes a decision to create human imagers and supernatural imagers. But he knows they're going to fail. And God wants them in his family. God wants them in his house. But he knows they're going to fail. This is why God tells us in passages, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, verse four. This is why Paul writes this. This is why he writes this, this. The way he writes this, he's telling you the mindset of God. In Ephesians chapter one and verse four, God foreknew what was gonna happen in Eden. Therefore, God has a plan. What happens after Eden? So in verse four, Paul writes to the Ephesian church God chose us in him before the creation of the cosmos, before the creation of the universe. God had already had a plan that he, that we would eventually, humanity would have a chance to be in him, to be holy and to be blameless in his sight before he made the earth, before he made the universe. God had already thought it through. God was not shocked what happened in Eden. In verse 9, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he made in Christ or he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment. It was on a schedule to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth. God had a plan. It was a schedule. At the right time, he would activate the plan. God had his salvation plan. But God knew it would be costly. I mean, the whole thing is costly. The whole thing in the garden opens the door for evil. It opens the door for sin. It opens the door for suffering. But for God's reason, God deems that a better world than a world without us. God deems a world where there's evil and there's sin and there's suffering a better world than to have a world where we don't exist. He'd rather have that we exist. That's why he has a plan. But there's gonna be suffering and it's costly and it's heartbreaking because you share his attributes. You have the attribute to choose. He made a decision not to make you and I robots. Thank goodness. Or maybe he should have. But he doesn't. You choose. Look in Galatians chapter four and verse four. God's plan. He starts to reveal the plan. So Paul is giving us God's plan and what he did. He'd rather have a world with us in it Is profound despite the suffering. In Galatians 4, verse 4, when the time, when the set time had fully come, again, it's our schedule, it's on plan. Tomorrow is a holiday. I don't know if I have a schedule for that, but I'm going to make one, right? We make plans. God makes plans. This summer, you make plans. You're going somewhere this summer. You're going to do stuff next year. You have plans. God has plans. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, you're also made. And heir look in ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9 i'm just going to give you some information here so you can see that god had already had a plan in place for humanity ephesians 3 and verse 9 and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden who created all things his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, the lesser gods who prevailed, the dominion of darkness, the supernatural forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that they would now know when Jesus died, They thought we're going to get rid of God on the earth once again. And when they killed Jesus, he resurrects according to God's plan and says the church has to make that known because those powers of darkness messed up. If they would have known that killing Jesus would do that, they never would have done it. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. But God had a plan. He had to overcome not only sin and suffering, but he had to overcome the rebellions in Genesis 6 and the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. God had a plan for all that, but they didn't know the plan because they're not God. They're just imagers. Look at me in Colossians chapter 2, and verse 2. Again, look at Paul's language as he explains to us the richness of understanding this idea that God gave us the role of being as imagers he shares the attribute of freedom and we mess up and god has a plan for that colossians 2 verse 2 my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of god namely christ who in whom all hidden are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God had a plan. Since he decided that it's a better world with us in it with sin and suffering and failure, he would send himself down to die on a cross to redeem us all. Sonship, give us his Holy Spirit so that we don't fall into depravity. All these things are part of God's plan. That's an amazing characteristic of God. So when you say God is good, He is truly good. He is truly good. He didn't just go forget humanity. I'm starting over, starting from scratch. I'm making a better version. Version 2.0 humans. No, he didn't do that. I want you to look at this idea in the Bible. You have Adam, the nation of Israel. Moses and Jesus. Those are those are those are dominant figures in the old testament. Adam, the nation of Israel, Moses and, and, and the Messiah. All our sons of God, all our rulers, all our servants, all of them suffer the effects of sin. Adam, Israel, exile, Moses, exile, doesn't go to the promised land. Jesus suffers of sin because of sin, our sin. They're all exiled, and they all die. Every one of them. Adam, son of Israel, Moses, and the Messiah. And Adam, he lives on, but resurrection's contingent. Israel, resurrection's contingent. Moses, resurrection's contingent. Messiah resurrects by the power and the plan of God. And everyone who follows Jesus will be redeemed. Humanity. Despite failure, despite sin, and despite suffering. Everyone who chooses God, who's loyal to God, is redeemed. That was predestined. God says, I will make sure that happens. It's up to us to choose that. To choose to be his images. It is up to us now. Because I have a pathway. That's why in Hebrews 6, there's this really strange passage that if you fall away, you can never be brought back. I mean, if you be crucified, the son of man. If you all read that passage, it's kind of a weird passage. I Meaning, if I fall away, I can never come back. Well, Paul is saying there is no way back other than Jesus. You can't get your way back by being a good person. The only way back to God when you stumble is through Jesus. It's the only way back. There's no other way. He didn't make another plan, there's no plan B. This is the plan. So when you struggle and you stumble and you try to try to find another way to God, God goes, there is no other way. The only way to me is through Jesus because he is me. That's the only way. Be made in his likeness. So what's that mean for us? That means we fill the earth too. We're New Testament disciples. where's imagers. The New Testament calls us ambassadors. Welcome ambassadors. It's, very, it's a royal thing to call yourself an ambassador. Very prestigious thing that is put upon us. We're God's representatives. We're his imagers. Question. Do people see the quality of God in you? Do people see God in you? God's likeness in you? We're his imagers. We should image that. Well, what's that? Kindness, love, mercy, compassion. Those are qualities of God. Patience. I want to give you some practicals to, to apply some of this in your life. God had a plan. God makes his imagers. What do we do with that? Like, what do we, like, where do I go with this? Number one, as his imagers, Serve other people because your servants, just like Adam, Moses, and Jesus, serve. Jesus came to serve, serve people, help them. You hear someone sick, go bring them stuff. Don't even ask them anymore. Don't ask people to bring food over because they'll always tell you now. Just go bring the food. Just do it. Serve people have people over and make them food or be like Iram and take me to Oxnard and give me the best tacos ever had in my life. Right. He served, he served me, he gave to me. It was awesome. Second thing is make time for others. Your time is precious. Imagers make time for others. Make time for your wife, your husband, your kids. It's important. Make time for others in your life. Make time for them. Schedule it. Schedule some time with each other. Encourage each other. Number three, be outwardly focused. Be mission oriented. When you go to work, your your colleagues, they don't know it, but they're at church because you're the church. When you go to school, your classmates don't know it, but you're the church. Our church is obviously not a building. We haven't had one for two years. You're it. You're it. You're the church. When you go to work, you're the church. Don't get down that you haven't had a guest coming to church. You've had, you've had guests every day at church because they see you. When they see you, they see the church. They see God be mission oriented be mindful of that don't go to work and be someone else don't go to work and be like your co-workers because you're at church you know when you're here you sinless so I keep telling you that when you're here you said yeah when you're in church when you realize you brought a guest to church you kind of kind of take it easy you're very lit, extra kind extra Come on, my friends, you know but when you go to work that's they're your guests because you're the church. So have that mission mindset that everywhere you go, the church is there. Get involved in their life, help them, encourage them. These are three things I think you can take away from being an imager, because we're made in God's likeness. to image him on the earth. let's do that, and let's pray for our communion. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for giving us the status and the function as imagers and sharing your attribute of freedom with us, God. And we choose you. We choose you. We believe you. Among the suffering, among the pain, among the failure, we choose you, God. You're the salvation. Your plan of salvation has brought us here your predestination of Jesus coming and rescuing us to walk among us and die and resurrect was all thought out beforehand because you love humanity. You love us. Thank you for that, God. Help us to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus that makes us all possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.